thanking you for the opportunity to be here for the gospel meeting. Uh, I've known about your congregation for many, many years. Um, you've helped support me and uh, our work in uh, Greer, South Carolina. You help a new church get started down there, and that work's going good, and we appreciate the fellowship uh, that you have with that. Um, being that you have fellowship with that congregation, you have an interest in that. And um, so if any questions I could answer for you in private or about the congregation or the work there, feel free to ask me. I uh, want to always be open and, and share good things with you. The um, theme of our meeting comes from um, John chapter 1, verse 14, about Jesus being full of grace and truth. And you notice the, the, the titles of each lesson somehow tie back into grace. And this morning we're going to talk about abounding grace. Um, this night we're going to talk about grace teaches us. Monday night we're going to talk about salvation by grace. Um, Tuesday night we're going to talk about sharing our faith, about sharing God's grace. And Wednesday night we're going to just spend some time talking about whenever we go through trials and hardships, um, how grace gives us courage to go through that. So grace is the theme and and I just want to uh, put a little disclaimer out there and thinking you can kind of just say this up front. You know, if you get up and preach a sermon about baptism and you don't mention grace or mention mercy, you know, that's, that's, that's a sound sermon, nothing to worry about. You get up and mention grace, people are like, well, man, where's this going to go? Is this going to be sound or, you know, you know, saved by faith only? You don't have to obey God. Just up front, we're under the authority of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 28. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are under law to Christ. And we'll see how that works in tonight. We'll talk about that. But we're going to spend time and absorb some things about grace today and um, in, in our sermon this morning. This morning's Bible class is really was written as a sermon. I've tried to change it to make it into a discussion. So I invite your, 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 your questions. I invite your comments. And um, really, uh, it's going to be a, a discussion about um, my journey of faith and also a connection in my journey of faith that um, I have with this congregation going back almost 40 years ago. That, you'll see that in just a moment. We've titled this lesson, You Are My Disciples Indeed. If we look at our text, uh, John chapter 8, we come down to verse 30. Notice in verse 31. The text says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I just want to say one thing about this verse before we leave it. If you ever want to find a Bible verse in your Bible of a definition of what it means to be a Christian, I would go to this verse, and it has to be, in my mind, um, John chapter 8 and verse 31. That is the quintessential definition, the most basic definition. It's almost too simple, too basic, but it's what works. God keeps it simple. For me, in my life, I became a Christian March 5th, uh, 1972, at the Hickory Knoll Church of Christ in New Orleans. At age 11, I remember walking up front, being baptized in the Christ, began my walk with Christ almost 50 years ago. Uh, my baptism to Christ, I was worshiping for, uh, for many years in what we would call institutional churches. Um, words like institutional and non-institutional that I'll use this morning, I do not say that to offend anybody. I just use those terms in a accommodative sense. 
um, and talking about brethren who might differ from us. I love them, I appreciate them. I grew um, most of my teenage years into my young adult years and in institutional churches, influenced by a lot of good preaching from the Bible, that was the truth. And, but there's always little things I saw that lingered in my mind that kind of bothered me, and, and then I'd have questions about them. And about the age of 21, I remember asking um, some elders the question, there's a very large congregation, Evansville, Indiana, uh, they called me and my wife in. We were just, we were just puppies. We we're just kids. We just had a little baby. And they go, well, you all place membership here? And we said, sure, we'll place membership here. And I, I said, well, can I just ask you a question? I said, you know, I talked to, um, uh, you all remember what a telephone booth was? Before cell phones, <laughs> I was going through the church uh, phone directory looking at Churches of Christ, trying a place to go to church, and we just moved. And, and I called one church. And that preacher just said, do you realize where you're going? They do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I hung up and I thought, that guy sounded like a nut. And I thought, but you know what? A lot of what he said kind of made sense to me at age 21. So I asked the elders, I said, I just heard that you all do this. And I never forget, an elder stood up in the back and he beat his knuckles on the table and said this, we believe we can do anything that we feel is a good work. So these men that I highly esteemed, I'm like, okay, but it just didn't set with me. There was just something that bothered me about that. And I had no knowledge of the institutional issues, what divided brethren. Fast forward four years later, living in a small town, Mount Vernon, Indiana, and I just called up the, the non-institutional preacher and said, will you come to my house to have dinner and tell me what y'all believe? I'm curious. We were studying, and we were studying to get the two congregations to unite together. I think we used Royal Cogdill's book, Walking by Faith, and we were moving in a direction with both congregations. And, and then on a Wednesday night, through the church doors, come marching in an eldership from that big church that we had the elder meeting with, and they walked up front and said, you will no longer study with the non-institutional brethren. I thought, wow. And everything Gene Taylor um, had taught me, he was a non-institutional preacher, kind of blew up in my face and about church autonomy and sponsoring church arrangement and elders not being over in multiple churches. And come to find out the, that eldership and that big church owned our building. They sent us our preachers and they took our contribution each week. So everything I was taught, kind of came to surface, but then we changed, so I left simply because the non-institutional brethren were willing to study their Bibles, and, and there were several of the issues I could see the truth on, some I didn't yet, but I, we changed churches, and there was a man and a woman, you might know the name, Quentin and Gertrude Gwynn, who kind of took me and my wife under their wing. And Quentin and I would still talk about one of the questions I couldn't get out of my head was, why is it wrong to support an orphan's home? And Quentin would just bring it up now and then and drop it. He's just very long-suffering toward me, spent many Sundays having dinner at their house and eating Gertrude's good cooking. But they basically nurtured me and my wife with love, hospitality, and long-suffering because we had changed churches we left our family's church. <laughs> it was a little bit of a shocking experience. Um, so that's the, the connection with this congregation that um, it's interesting, 
that, that about 40 years ago, a man that helped me learn the truth, and I would not be standing here this morning before you if it wasn't for Quentin and Gertrude Gwynn. Never underestimate the power of planting any seed of the gospel in, in the hearts of your friends and family members or people who are not Christians. You never know how that, that seed uh, will grow. So this morning, I want to go um, to this passage. We're going to put this passage on the screen. And what we're going to do this morning, I hope this experiment works, we're simply going to ask questions in a way of provoking um, thought on what does it really mean to be a Christian. Because what happened to me, I had to have that aha moment that I've been raised in the Church of Christ, and now there's these two churches of Christ, and this church doesn't want to study, and I see some things here that are wrong, and I had, and it was awkward to change churches. I didn't know how my parents were going to take it, how my wife's parents were going to take it, and and, and I just had that quintessential moment that I'm really not a follower of the Church of Christ, and that aha moment was. I just want to be right with Jesus. I just want to obey Jesus. And that's why we change churches. So when we go back to our passage, we see Jesus in this passage. We notice that many believed in him. And there's something about this text and about this passage that, that just, um, to me, is, just, is, is interesting. Is that why it says many believed in him, we notice they leave him after you get a pass down, when you get past 33, they're at odds with him. They don't like it, some answers, some things that he said. So it's almost like Jesus in verse 31 turns to the many that believed in him and say, look, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. I believe he said it with, with transparency. He was very honest what it was going to take to be a disciple, a Christian. And he knew the hearts of men. And what we see, all these, these many that believed, you got the word many there in verse 30, and then in verse 33, they said, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'd be made free? Now they're arguing with the one that they're following. And so what we see in the passage is that Jesus has this complete honesty with them. If you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. He said exactly what they needed, exactly what they needed to hear from God, from God's word, from the gospel, to know him and know how to be saved after the cross. So, what does it mean to be a disciple? That's the question I want you to ponder in your mind. Anybody here like college football? <laughs> in the South, oh, we got a hand that went up. There's a real fan there. I think two hands went up. In the South, when I moved to the South, I am a Southern Yankee, because there's such a thing. I was asked to go to the South and, and preach in Alabama. Never been to the South in my life. And I had some questions for him before I went, but I went, the first thing they asked me when I moved to Montgomery, Alabama, are you going to be Auburn or are you going to be Alabama? So in the interest to keep unity in the church, I said, I'm a Seminoles fan. <laughs> so when you think about it, if you, um, you know, weren't a, a fan of any type of college football, um, what would you do to begin to become a fan of college football? Where would you start? If it's a Wildcats fan, Clemson fan, Tennessee fan, um, what does it really mean to be a football fan? Well, one, you might let your family and friends choose that for you. You might say, well, let me see who has the, most, the, the best quarterback on the team or who's won the most um, games. You might choose your team, and then you choose your team. You're going to go out and buy clothes with your team's colors and, 
and you're going to root for them on TV or go to the game and root for your team. And when they win, you're going to kind of brag about it a little bit. When they lose, you're going to defend them. But you're going to stay a diehard fan or whatever that football team is that, that you decide to become a member of. You'll be totally following and committed to your conversion to your new football team. Well, what does it really mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You could let your friends and families decide for you where you're going to go to church, what kind of Christian you're going to be, uh, what kind of name you might have attached to the word Christian. You may choose a religious denomination that has the biggest building, the, the most recreation, the most entertaining services. Or you simply can go back to John chapter 8 and Jesus in verse 31 who was, the, who was fullness of grace and truth and just simply follow Jesus. That sounds too simple. But I'm going to tell you this. You will talk to people that has challenging questions about truth. Where do you, where do you start? You're going to have sometimes questions come up in the congregation here. One congregation that I was a member of um, preached at. A member, I thought, was a sound member, strong member, been a Christian. His father's a gospel preacher. Um, they got a new building and had a kitchen in the basement. And the first rule was to, we're going to sell that kitchen and get rid of it. And he comes up to me and asks me the question, well, what's really wrong with having a potluck in the basement? In a sound church, a non-institutional church, issues you thought were settled years ago among brethren, these questions still come up. You have young people that are going to come up. And what you can do sometimes is take them back and let them study all the issues of the 50s and the 60s, or you can simply take the question, compare it to the Bible, and follow what the Bible says. You don't have to go back through all that history. Uh, just compare it to what the Bible says. And, and, and that's how we can simply be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So if we were going to kind of ask the question, what's your definition of being a disciple? What's a word you would use? Can't use the word Christian. <laughs> use a different word. Uh, what word would you use to what it means, what does it mean to you to be a disciple? Follower. Follower. I like that word. That word fits the definition. The learner, the alumni, is a, a, a pupil or a student. Yes. Okay, so you have the word Jesus says, if you want to be a follower of me, if you want to be a pupil, a teacher of me, Jesus was a pretty renowned, more popular than Elvis rabbi teaching during his three-year ministry. Now, where you're at in John 8 is you've gone about three months into the last year of his ministry. He's going to be crucified in about nine months. And so this is the year of his um, opposition, and people were not starting to like what he, was, what he taught. How else would you define what it means to you to be a disciple? Follower, pupil, learner? You might think of any other words? Obedient. Obedient, Obedient to who? God, Jesus. Just get Jesus in there. It's Jesus. You've got to have a starting point. And one starting point that we all can have with all our denominational friends is Jesus. Talk to your denominational friends. You don't even have to talk about authority yet. You don't have to talk about the name of the church yet. You don't have to talk about the purpose of baptism yet. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Do you love Jesus? Yes. Well, over here at the uh, Lakeside Church of Christ, we, believe in, we love Jesus. You've got a starting point. 
I have one lesson I do just on John 3.16. You have everything about Jesus. You got Jesus, you got authority, you got salvation, you got the plan of salvation, you got baptism on one verse, because it all goes back to Jesus. And Jesus becomes, can, becomes our starting point. So let's ask some questions. Uh, well, we'll just kind of go over this real quick. Definitions of what it means to be a disciple. Word disciple is used um, 268 times in the Bible. Word Christian is only used three times. You know, one's a proper noun. One, they're both nouns. One's a proper noun. Um, they both describe who we follow. Uh, it's a disciple and a, and a person who follows the person and the teaching of Jesus. This is important. When I made my conversion between churches, <laughs> I, I, my aha moment was, I'm not a follower of the Church of Christ. You, you know, hope you understand what I mean by that. I'm not following a group. I'm not even following a movement through the restoration movement. I'm not following a brotherhood movement. I follow Jesus, and I follow his teachings. Uh, I follow the person of Jesus. I want to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, walk like Jesus. I want to, be, I want to honor Jesus. I am a pupil and learner of Jesus, and, and, and want to, I want to imitate him. Um, and it's like learning a, a discipline. Notice how the word disciple and the word discipline kind of have the, the same word in the meaning there. And it takes time to learn how to discipline to learn a piano. It takes time to learn and grow and discipline to be a Christian, to be a disciple. Same thing with painting or being an electrician. So Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. Notice how he uses the word my there twice. Jesus used words, I believe, with laser precision. My word makes you my disciple. If I start to do my thinking or other influences that are not my word of Jesus, then I start to decrease being a disciple of Jesus and leaving being a disciple of Jesus. Okay, questions. Um, these are first going to be kind of, I'm going to go from simple to hard, so we're going to go through the, the, the simple uh, a little bit faster. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Think about for us in the Lord's church, think about those who might be in our friends in the denominational world. Is it only believing in Jesus? Is it only believing in Jesus? Does that make you a disciple? Yes or no? No. Can you use our text? <laughs> Can you use our text to show that? Look back at, um, again, it's an astounding text. It, it was an aha moment in the ministry of Jesus for many. What does it say in verse 30? And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And he, then he gives the quintessential definition of what it means to be a disciple in verse 31. And, and, and then he has to say in verse 32, and they needed to hear this. Uh, he's going to go to the cross in about nine months. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now these are believers in him in verse 30 he's talking to. Now look at verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a, sin, and a slave does not abide in the house of the, uh, forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And, and then he, they go on down in verse 39 and go, Well, you know, you know, Abraham is our father. Did they believe in Jesus? I'll say yes. The text says yes. 
But simply being a believer in Jesus only does not make one a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is where you and I have to be careful as Christians in the Lord's church. Go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Uh, I got my, my name on the membership roll there. Uh, a member of the church there. We got to be careful that that's just not what it means to be a Christian. I have to live it every day. You know that and I know that. But every day when Jesus is part of our walk and our talk and our thinking and, and how we just function as a human being, that I follow this person, Jesus, things come up in my life, I compare them to Jesus, what would Jesus want me to do? I'm going to be his disciple and I'm going to make the decision to go that direction. You know, it's not going to be belief only. You know, James chapter 2, verse 20 tells us faith that works is dead. And you have that whole idea kind of coming out of Calvinism that colors our religious world today. Uh, next question. Does it simply mean being a religious person? You ever see those times where they do an interview on the side? I love the interview sidewalk questions. Who was the first president of the United States? You're like, oh, man, I hope they get that right. That's an easy one. You know, question on sidewalk. You know, are you a Christian? And somebody who lives in America today, if they haven't chose some other Eastern religion or something, they're going to say, yes, well, I live in a Christian nation. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. I haven't gone to church today in my life, but you know what? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I believe in Jesus. Um, does being religious, or really religious, make one a disciple of Jesus Christ? No. In this passage, um, what do they say in verse 33? Who did they appeal for for their religion? They appealed for Abraham. Jesus' statement kind of offended their Jewishness, and, 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 and they go back into claiming that they're descendants of, of Abraham, and, and they end up getting a big argument with Jesus. When you got those who believe him in verse 30, what do they try to do to him in verse 59? Somebody fast forward and look at verse 59. They take up stones to want to kill him. So the truth did not sit well with them. Jesus was transparent. Jesus wanted them to know what they had to do to be saved. Okay, so let me uh, let's go to our next question. And our next question, have you ever heard the statement today, you got to find your own truth? You find your truth, I find my truth. You know, in America, we love our freedom, so uh, everybody can... You know, find their own truth. What does that statement mean that you find your own truth? What does that mean? <laughs> That's exactly why the question has, the, the thought has come up. So, I mean, so we are self absorbed in this country, and we got to be careful of that as Christians. No yes, exactly. Now, if you were going to find the meaning of the phrase, find your own truth, where would you go to get the truth on what that phrase means? Pardon? Within yourself. I tell you what, you know what, if you Google it, I believe it would give you the truth. <laughs> um, I'm saying that jokingly. Well, here's the definition I got off Google about finding your own truth. And then I realize what people are saying. You've got to find, people are just trying to find their way in life, you know, what they want to follow, what their, their flow is, what, what sets with them, what, what makes them happy. And here's a, a Google definition. Just because someone believes something is true does not mean it's true for everyone else. This is what it means to find your own truth. There are many different perspectives or interpretations of truth, but there's only one truth. That's where they lost me. 
The truth can be expressed in a variety of ways, but there's only one truth. I still don't know what they mean by one truth in their definition. But in our world today, that's the kind of the general idea. I'm going to find my own truth, what, what religion I'm comfortable in, what church I'm comfortable with. I'm going to try out some churches. Uh, we have some neighbors that move next door, and they got little kids. And Tanya, my wife, was talking to her about church. And, 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 and she said, you know, my husband's this faith, and I grew up this faith. We just want to find a church that has the most activities for our kids. There's no Jesus thinking or, or truth thinking or Bible thinking in that idea. And she's sincere. She's honest. If you asked her if she loves Jesus, she would say yes. But our culture kind of conditions people with this idea of simply finding your own truth. Uh, if you're in John 8, can you go back a page in your Bible to John chapter 6? Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds um, the 5,000. And they come back the next day. They still had that taste of fish and and barley bread stuck between their teeth. And, you know, if he could feed 5,000, he could feed us forever. Let's go make him king. And Jesus gets in a big discussion about being the bread of life. And look what happens in verse 66. He has the 5,000. And then we see in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. He loses the disciples in John 6. He loses the multitude in John 8 because he was truthful to them. And then he looks at the 12. They're probably shocked by the multitude leaving. And Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? And then Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now watch this. You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that's a very imperfect Peter saying that, but Peter got that. And they all talked among themselves. Peter's kind of speaking for them all. And they still were in apostle training camp. They still had a lot of growing to do, but they got that. Um, Jesus is uh, going to be, always be our, our source for truth. So, Jesus is our source for truth. It will always be Jesus. Another passage I believe that's very important to think about and share with our, our friends and neighbors about Jesus to try to establish their mind, his authority. Of course, a passage you're familiar with, John chapter 4 and verse 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. John 14, verse 6. Jesus is now in the evening, then in the morning he's going to be crucified in a few hours, several hours. And these are some of his last conversations with his apostles about the coming of the Holy Spirit, about him leaving, not leaving them orphan. The Holy Spirit was going to replace him in their life. And Jesus says with very solemn words in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If any man said that, that would be the epitome of arrogance. But Jesus said it. Because Jesus is the fullness of grace and truth, and he is the only way. Jesus is a source of truth, and you're going to see why I bring that up with our next question. Here are the little bit harder questions. Being a church member will make you a faithful disciple of Jesus. And let's see make it better. If I'm a church member in the Lord's church that's a conservative church, does that make me, my affiliation with the Lord's church in that way, will that make me a faithful Christian? 
Okay. So this is a little bit of a trick question, and you've got the trick in it. <laughs> our coming together and what we do as a congregation, we need in our growth and, and our serving God. It's part of our serving God, and we come together to edify and build up one another in love and good works, and we come to glorify God. We do that together. So we need that together, need to be together to church for that reason. And coming in church can do that for us. But is church the first place that being a church member is the first place that will make me a faithful disciple of Jesus? Yes or no answer? Why? Why no? Yes. So y'all, y'all didn't need this lesson. You're on your game. You're, you're, you're getting the right answers. When we were in that big congregation, um, they started church daycare. This is before we had the meeting with the elders that beat their knuckle on the table and said, we can do anything we think is a good work. And Tanya, we us wanting to be part of the church work there, Tanya goes to, to the church daycare to take care of kids. About a week later, Tom, Tanya comes home and says, you know, and I'm just like 20 years old. We were just kids. She says, look, I got a paycheck. I said, cool, where did you get the paycheck from? She said, the church gave me a paycheck for working in the church daycare. And I'm thinking, and I didn't know anything about the church issues yet. And I'm like, that just don't seem right. I think you need to stop doing that. Again, I did not know one iota why brethren were divided. Not even heard the reasons yet. And, and it was just a red flag in, in my mind. And so, uh, so we just stopped it. And so um, I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. Keep um, John uh, uh, 8 marked. But turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In Montgomery, Alabama, I was very blessed to work there for about 18 years and in Montgomery, Alabama, you have 30 churches of Christ of every flavor. It was, it was astounding. And you only had two sound churches. And um, one very large congregation, and I knew one of the elders there, Tom Estes, um, that church had a, a gospel meeting. And, um, and I can tell you right now, if I named the preachers, you would not know one of them. Because on Monday night, they had a Baptist preacher come hold their gospel meeting. On Tuesday night, they had a Methodist preacher come hold their gospel meeting. You had all different denominations Monday through Friday. And of course, I'm jolted by this. Other institutional churches were jolted by that. But this, this was, the, this was the, the clincher. Some of our older members were very good friends with members over there. And they'd say, you know what, we really didn't like it. Well, we're just really not going to change churches. What were they missing? What's the sad part of what they were missing? What were they following? They're following church. You know, when I grew up, uh, me and my dad would go and have Bible studies with the Jewel Miller film strips. Now, some of you older people might remember that. I still have the projector and the film strips. Um, that my, me and my dad would show people. And that was very good material to establish Bible authority, Old Testament, New Testament, leads right up to the plan of salvation. 
why we have so many churches today. But it's constructed in such a way to leave the impression that the Church of Christ name on the building is the place of salvation. Not if you have a denominational name on the building. It's selling the church, not just selling Christ. I don't use the word selling Christ. It's the church, not just Christ. And think for him, with me for just a moment. In our country that we live in today, what has happened, not just with the Lord's church, just church in general, and anything under the umbrella of Christianity, church has replaced the place of salvation. We are baptized into Christ. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. In Christ you are saved. In Christ you have that personal relationship with, with, with Christ and with God. It's in Christ you are made a Christian. Today you can be in church and you're a Christian. That's the thinking today. In our culture, church has replaced Christ as a place of salvation. When I grew up in institutionalism, Church of Christ, in a subtle little way, replaced Christ as a place of salvation. Let me just say this for our older generation and our younger generation. We always need to question, we always need to question things when we're questioning from the viewpoint of authority. It's just, Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth. I can't dismiss authority and say, I follow Jesus. So, you know, so we've got to be careful because, you know, simply um, being a member of a church does not make one a disciple of Jesus Christ. When I look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, come down to verse 2, he's writing to who? <laughs> to the church of God. This is God's people he's writing to, those sanctified in Christ. Then he comes down to verse 10. He says, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, that there be no divisions among you. You be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Cleo's household, there are contentions among you. And here it is in verse, verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. The problem is, for some, it was following Paul. It was following Apollos. It was following Peter. Some were getting it right, following Christ. And they were so confused and self-absorbed um, at Corinth for several reasons we don't have time to go into, they couldn't even eat the Lord's Supper together. They were divided eating the Lord's Supper. And they were eating it for the wrong reasons. Turn with me over to, um, let me just say this. Could you just go to Corinth without changing anything? and still be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. No, there's some changes that need to take place in that church because the, our commitment is to Christ. Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. So what this does, it causes us to think about what we believe, why we believe, am I following Jesus Christ in, in what I do at church, what I do outside of church, how I live my life, it's all about Jesus first. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, uh, you have your Bible. You are, are you at Revelation chapter 3? What color is Revelation chapter 3 in your Bible? <laughs> Mine's red. What does red indicate? 
Jesus is talking. So this is when Jesus goes to church. Jesus comes and he visits uh, the church at Sardis, and he gets in like he gets in the pulpit and look what he says. I know he's writing this in a letter, but look what he says to the church at Sardis. This is Jesus talking about his disciples. Uh, These things say, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. This is Jesus saying this. Uh, That you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. That had to be like thunder in that church building. Can you imagine whoever the poor elder or deacon or preacher was had to get up and read this letter for the church and you're all there to serve Jesus and Jesus wrote you a letter and Jesus says, Y'all, dead church. Like, oh, what did we do wrong? What was, they just, they had assimilated themselves in their culture so much. They had a big name in the city, big name in their mind, but Jesus says, you're dead. You're not following me as a disciple. But look at verse 4. You have a few names, even at Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. So, Being a church member will make you a faithful Christian. Would that make you a faithful church member at Sardis? No. Well, not at Lakeside. Well, not down in Upstate Church of Christ where I preach. It's it's all about following Jesus first. Are you saved in Jesus Christ or the church? That's a toughy question. We know in Acts chapter 2, the Lord added to the church daily, those being saved... Are you saved in Jesus or are you saved in church first? Make it easy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And tell me your name again. Kent. Kent is saved because he's in Jesus Christ. Kent is here because he's in Jesus Christ. He has a relationship with everybody else who's in Jesus Christ. And we work together as a local church family. That's how Jesus set up the church, his church. The word church simply means a group of people. And what Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my group of people. John chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple. This church doesn't belong to some hierarchy of churches of Christ all gathered together or collected together somehow. That's the thought of institutionalism. This church is simply disciples whose commitment is first to Jesus. You've been added, you're, you're baptized in the Christ. He adds you to the church. So many times I remember hearing in institutionalism, you're baptized into the church. Well, I know what they meant But that really can take you places in in how we view the Bible and how we view the church that are not going to be true. We're added to the church. We're part of the church because we are baptized. But if Jesus wasn't first part of that equation, we're not not a member of any type of of church that belongs to to Jesus Christ. Let me show you how this this makes a difference in our thinking. Um, When I was a, a teenager, I'd have yard sales for the Mount Dora Orphan's Home. We'd bring stuff from home, we'd sell it, and we'd send it to Mount Dora Orphan's Home. Mount Dora Orphan's Home is in Mount Dora, Florida. My son just kind of moved, lives south of there. And that is a Church of Christ Orphan's Home. So what happened one day 
is that the Mount Door Orphan's Home hired a secretary who was Baptist. And churches of Christ, they went nuts. They went crazy. You've hired a non-Christian to work at a Church of Christ Orphan's Home? That was wrong. That was sinful. They want to withdraw fellowship from the Orphan's Home. Was it wrong for an Orphan's Home to hire a Baptist secretary? Thank you. That's all it is. They just had a discussion a few years ago with some brethren down where I live. There's, I didn't realize there's an orphan's home near where I live. And they were up in arms that that, that orphan's home, Church of Christ orphan's home, there is no such animal, um, now takes donations from Baptist churches and all of their different churches. They want to know how I felt about that. And I said, well, I don't believe we need to be supporting orphan's home. <laughs> you do it out of your own pocket, but you don't do that out of, out of the church treasury. And so, um, you know, I had some more material. Let me just see if I had any other questions. This was going to be the last question. Jesus or church is our first source of spiritual strength. Um, can, church, can church or church members let you down sometimes? Yes. We're human. I let people down sometimes. I'm human. I make mistakes. I sin. Will Jesus ever let you down? No. He will always be your source of strength because you are a disciple of Jesus Christ first. Don't get me wrong. The Lord's church, extremely important, extremely part of our, our walk and our life with Christ. But we got to remember even what we would call non-institutional churches, who we are. We sit here this morning, if you are saved in Christ, you sit here first this morning, you are a disciple of the person and teachings of Jesus. And whatever questions come up of morality or church doctrine, you just answered the question. <laughs> I just got to figure out what Jesus said. And I have my answer. I know where I can go. I might hurt somebody's feelings. They might hurt my feelings. But it's not going to change how I feel. I feel safe and I feel secure in Jesus. Let me stop. The bell's going to ring any second. Any other comments or questions you want to make? You've been a good audience. Who are we going to stand before in the day of judgment? It's Jesus. And um, so thank you, thank you. You've been a very good audience. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate you. Thank you.